Hello, and welcome to the Future of Femalehood podcast. We're here to work together to build a healthier and happier world for women through AI. I'm your host, Morgan Rose. I am a certified nurse midwife, women's health nurse practitioner, international board certified lactation consultant, and head of science at Emma. And I'm your host, Karishma Patel. I'm the uh, chief experience officer at Emma, and I run everything tied to experience, whether it's your experience with the brand to your experience with the product. And in each episode, we'll discuss the latest advancements in AI for women, examine the implications of these new technologies, and share inspiring stories of the powerful individuals shaping the future of AI for femalehood. Um, so our podcast format today, we have um, Dr. Trill, who is here from Free to Feed. So we're going to have a little conversation with her. Um, we're going to talk about the latest in AI news, how Dr. Trill is using AI in her platform, and then how we all use um, AI in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, so Dr. Trill, we're so excited to have you here. We've worked with her for years at Emma. Um, she was one of our first experts that we brought on. Um, Trill, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. First, thank you so much for having me. It is a privilege to get to speak with both of you and your listeners. Um, so Free to Feed helps parents navigate food allergies, and we've been doing this for almost five years now, which um, still kind of blows my mind. And the ways that we do that is by offering research products and services specifically tailored to help those families who are navigating those early food allergy journeys. Oftentimes, this is through breast feeding, formula feeding, and those first starting solids journeys. Um, we have everything from consultations to our app to a multivitamin and other kind of products that are built around exactly what parents are looking for. And this is all stemming from my own background in a, a PhD in cellular molecular biology and having two little girls who both had severe food reactivity as infants. Yeah, we were saying that your name and your profession and your personal experiences have aligned beautifully <laughs> into yes. this line of work. Um, and it's such an important topic. So I think for so many new parents, especially with first time parents, it's like you just you don't know what your baby's going to react to and how to manage it. So we're super thankful for um, for you and for all the work that you do to support these families. Um, Can I just say real quick, the last time um, I don't do a lot of external meetings and like meet with a lot of our experts personally. Um, I don't get the privilege of doing that. My work's more back end. But the last time I did one of these was actually with Dr. Trill. And that was actually before I became a parent. And since then, I've doubled that. Now I have two. And I think about the things specifically that we talked about during that Facebook Live all the time like the word i never knew the word elimination diet before then and luckily my kids have been pretty lucky with not having many allergies but i meet a lot of moms in my same peers you know level with just motherhood and i think about all the time about this elimination diet how do you identify the source of the allergy the cow's milk protein like what the mom has to do and I, re I remember it so well and I found it so interesting in that like so many people don't actually know about everything that goes into what you do until you're in that in that bucket. And it's it's so fascinating to me that someone like you exists and you're channeling your, you know, your knowledge to help moms mm -hmm. and, you know, and their babies. Mm -hmm. 
Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about the testing, the strip that you use to test for allergies and how that works? Because there's the elimination diet, which is like a huge commitment for new parents to take on because it means like you're eliminating a lot of the food groups they would normally eat and just sticking to one group to test it. Um, and then you have a testing kit. Tell us about the difference when you would recommend one over the other. That's a great question. So right now when parents are faced with needing to do an elimination diet. And so for those who are listening and aren't familiar, an elimination diet is essentially if you are lactating and your baby starts presenting with symptoms, sometimes we can see an issue where the dietary proteins that we're intaking can elicit allergic responses in our babies. And these allergic responses can vary widely from colic, reflux, rashes, um, eczema, bloody stool, diarrhea. There's, there's a whole gamut of um, particular symptoms that are caused in these infants. And typically up to this time point, we've had to do what's called an, a blind elimination where you're just eliminating something and then hoping baby gets better because we don't actually know exactly after I consume something, we have a general idea via the research about what time it should arrive in the breast. And we know about what time it should be cleared in the breast. If I'm regularly removing breast milk, usually we see it removed, uh, peaking within a few hours in concentration and then steadily improving from there, usually gone within eight hours. We give a 24 hour window for any outliers, but that exact science isn't known. And for you, every day, every time you eat something, it's going to change. So your hydration, your metabolism, when baby fed, all of these different things, even your stress can impact that timeline, that timeline for um, transfer and clearance. So then we're just doing this line elimination, we're taking these things out, and then we're bringing things back for trying to navigate that largely blindly. The other thing that's really hard in that is that not everything you put in your mouth will end up in your breast. So if you eat peanuts on Tuesday, you may not see an allergic response, and then you eat them again on Thursday, and you do. And you don't know, is that because then like, like it's not peanuts, it was actually the jelly that I had with the peanut butter, or is it that the peanuts didn't transfer each time? And so what I have been working on over five years now is the technology to put that data and knowledge into the hands of parents. And what that has um, evolved into is a test kit. So a test kit that is very similar to an at-home pregnancy test or an at-home COVID test where it's um, called a lateral flow and you need a very small amount of breast milk and it shows a line if you are over a certain threshold of the specific portions of the proteins that transfer to the breast after we consume them. And so what this does then is in a real time at home setting, you can know exactly when something is transferred to your breast and exactly when it's clear. That way we can use that data alongside your symptomology to marry that information together and give you a correlation summary. This is what's likely eliciting a response for your particular baby. That way we're not doing blind elimination diets anymore. We know what our baby is reactive to because we know what's in the breast. And then from there, we have the ability to say, okay, I know that my baby is reactive to cow's milk and soy, as an example. And I'm going to go live my life now. I'm going to have cow's milk and soy largely eliminated from my diet. But if I go to a coffee shop and the barista gives me the wrong latte, which happens just way more often in our community than I'd like to even think about, um, you know 
when it has reached your breast, if ever, and when you can feed again without eliciting an allergic response in your infant, it gives the power back to parents by giving them the data. Um, our test kit is not yet available commercially, but we are working very hard towards launch and we will have, uh, fingers crossed, we will have the first test kit in hands this year. That is so exciting and it's gonna save so many parents um, the time and pain of an elimination diet. Wait, so, but do you pair like a guided elimination diet with your test kit? Is that like, do you see them working together in any way or with the test kit, there's like no need to eliminate unless you test positive for um, something that you see as an irritant to your baby? Yeah, so we see this being a guided elimination where we specifically only eliminate things that are showing in correlation to symptomology. So essentially, let's say instead of parents being told, remove all the top allergens from your diet, which I have done for a year plus of my life, go on a really strict extreme elimination diet for a whole year. Instead of doing that, we say, okay, this is your correlation summary. These are the things or thing you know, that you can eliminate from your diet, that occurs then, and then you're only testing for that thing that elicits a response when you need to. Yeah, yeah. That is so interesting. And like bringing it kind of back to like what, you know, what brought us together here was just like Emma and AI and just the concept of AI in our lives now. I'm like really curious to know how, what your take is on um, incorporating AI technology into your type of platform and method to, you know, enhance the effectiveness of a guided elimination diet and meal plan for moms. Yeah, so I am incredibly excited about these huge leaps that are being made um, in artificial intelligence in machine learning and everything in between. So what we see at Free to Feed is a few pieces. On one side, um, specifically that correlation summary, being able to pull all of the data and build the AI platform so that the parent can put in symptomology and we can make that correlative summary more educated, right? So we can be able to give them that data and that information quickly. Once they then choose, so a parent will choose, these are the things based on this summary or report, um, which we can use AI to generate that report then, based on this summary and report, these are the things I'm going to eliminate from my diet. Let's say I get my summary report and based on that information, I decide I'm gonna remove eggs and wheat from my diet, just as an example, then we would be able to utilize the AI in order to then give them a full um, meal plan, right? That's nutritionally complete, specific to their um, body weight, their needs, that the fact that they're nursing and exactly what vitamins that they need, um, in addition to their own dietary restrictions, maybe they're kosher, maybe they're vegan, and then, from there, take that meal plan and once approved and the person says, oh yeah, that's definitely something that fits all of these needs, um, then plug that directly into here's your shopping list, here are your recipes, um, and on and on from there, right? And we can take them through the entirety of that early feeding journey, utilizing AI as the backdrop for giving them all of that information. In addition to the other like really big focus that Free to Feed has right now is being able to utilize AI to um, be able to correlate summary or correlate symptomology. And so what I mean by that is I have the uh, most obnoxious world's largest collection of baby poop pictures uh, nice. from just thousands of parents. You can sell that book. <laughs> I guess, yeah, University right? and researchers and parents alike. You have a broad audience with that book. 
so much, so much. So if anybody's listening and they're curious, like what is she talking about? Uh, freetofeed.com slash diaper. Yeah, that's our most popular website URL. Um, and it is galleries of, of baby poop. And this is just a like a, a small smattering of the, pun intended, uh, of the stool photos that we have. And one of the number one questions that parents has is, is this a reaction? Mm-hmm. Is this good or bad? And so we are collecting the pictures of rashes on infants and collecting the stool images. And we are labeling them in order to allow then for a parent to be able to take a picture of their own stool in their own home and have the AI be able to give them information about the probability that this is, in fact, a bad stool that causes a reaction or not. Oh my God. I'm sorry. When people say that they're scared of AI, I'm like, how, I know we have to be careful with what we do with it and there needs to be regulations and oversight, but what you just described is the coolest thing. One of the coolest use cases for this. Of my how is blown. It's, it's officially blown. And you said it's the most popular URL, like the diaper one. And I'm like, when I worked in a hospital setting, that was so true for parents when they left as a lactation consultant as a midwife, the calls I would get trying to describe baby's poop over the phone, the rash that they saw, I would send them to like Stanford's website to look at examples. But I'm like, this is, it's a really common and difficult question. I think if you're not a parent or not in that stage, you forget or just don't know that this is a really strong indicator of your baby's gastrointestinal health, their allergies, your milk supply. Like it has the data to so many important aspects of your baby's health. And I mean, I have some recency bias. I'm currently a lactating mom. And just you mentioning that URL, I'm immediately going to go do that. The last you right, my baby does have reflux and he's on famotidine for it. And, you know, we handle it and it's working well for him. But his poop is unlike my first one who also had poop. And I'm just so curious why it's so different. Um, and so I'm I would be one of your use cases. I, I, it didn't even occur to me, honestly, that reflux A is a symptom of allergies of in a baby of something I could be eating. And I'm now I'm just kind of kicking myself thinking, could I have, you know, spared him having to have this medicine if I knew that, um, but he's fine. I'm just now so curious to go dive into this even further. That's going to be my day now. <laughs> and, and I want to mention too, that like, this the reason why this is the most you know popular if you will topic um for us on our site and and amongst parents i get dms uh, like almost on the hourly basis of people just sending me their child's poop um my life is weird (laughs) things i did not know i would do as a phd um in science was look at other you know strangers baby poops um but it would be strange if you did know right unless like you've been a nanny or you had little kids in your life like it would be weird I would be more worried about you if you were like I know exactly what all of the normal poop looks like for a baby Um, because it does it's not the same as an adult and it is very very different and so yeah like that would be weird if you did know that and so then we end up in this space of like oh this wasn't in like the the pregnancy classes that I took, they talked about meconium, right? like the very first poop that comes out and they warn you about that. It's going to be black and tory. And then that's it. Like you're just off on your own and you're inspecting this, you know, diaper in the 
better sunlight in your day room, hoping your neighbors don't see you. And, um, you know, there's no additional guidance. And that's where we think that AI is going to be incredibly powerful. So I have a really technical question and we can dive into this a little bit. If you don't want to get into that here, totally understand. But how are you building and training the AI model to recognize the symptomology with the pictures? Like what's your process like as a company to um, develop that? And then like also the, are you getting like false negatives and false positives? Are you testing it? Um, can you answer those questions now? Is that appropriate? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the the number one thing is needing to have a lot of data in order to train. Um, so a lot of diaper pictures. Like when I said, like I have the world's largest collection, I truly mean that. Um, and then the next piece, the next step of that is having it be very accurately labeled. And so what I mean by that is um, if it is, a reaction why exactly why and exactly where we see that it's in a reaction um if it is not a reaction why and then um the next piece of that being obviously lots of testing right to check to see if there are false positives false negatives um in addition to like being able to flag if it's something that is um, borderline right so the as the machine learning is occurring, as we're utilizing the, the platform, being able to see, okay, this is how many we got flagged, going in and, and labeling them. So then it's just continuing to teach itself, right? So you're you're yeah. able to close that gap more and more. Um, I think that the other thing is learning from others' mistakes. So um, one of the things that is kind of recent in the, the news is the conversation around whether or not AI, the research around AI being able to identify cancers, for example, right? Being able to identify tumors and whether or not a tumor was benign or malignant. And what they found is that the AI was very inaccurate and it was partially because of the images they were trained on. The um, tumors which were cancerous usually had a label next to it because that's like it had something different about it because it was cancer. And so it would have like a ruler, for example, next to it. Yeah. And so then it trained the AI, oh, when you see a ruler, that's what makes it cancerous, not what the size, shape, structure of the actual um, tumor was. So essentially us taking the information and learning from others, you know, our own wins and losses um, in the science community and saying, okay, what can we do to alleviate that, you know, anomaly, for example? The good news is there's no, um, you know, rulers in the, typically in the world of diapers. But for us, that means like, you know, um, being able to train the AI to understand the difference between a cloth diaper and a disposable diaper, because those are two very different things mm -hmm. um, and different colors of diapers and different like uh, patterns that are on the other side of the diaper. So um, learning from others' mistakes is is has been very helpful for us too. And are you also showing pictures of rashes? Cause like that can also present differently based on skin tone. And so I'm assuming there's like a whole different biasy model that you have to train the AI on to know a rash in a person with white skin versus darker skin tone is going to present differently. Yes, exactly. And it's also difficult because there are so many additional things that can um, cause these types of rashes in infants. You have heat rashes and just a whole slew of different things. And so 
with the, the skin AI, I think it's going to take longer um, for that rollout because one, there is inherent biases in the, the data and not having enough pictures of people of color with these types of rashes. And so being very, very specific about like driving that and making sure that the data that we have enough um, data for people of color. And in addition to that, understanding uh, you know, there's everything from the the lighting to the angle to there's a lot there um, and more differences than what we see in um, stool. So the rash piece will be something that's going to take longer, um, but just as valuable. Yeah. And are you using I mean, like Google announced the Med Palm 2, which like passed the really tough medical exam at what, like an 85.4%. Are you using any of these like APIs that have some of this medical knowledge and training in your free to feed AI program? And if so, which ones and how are you using that? We are, <clears throat> pardon me, we are utilizing some of these platforms that are coming out. And quite honestly, we're in the midst of still driving, I think there will continue to be more available. So the end result of like what the final API or APIs that we end up going with will probably change over the next like yeah. even even weeks, right? Like it's it's just a constant thing. Um, Google is probably the the mainstay for us um, yeah. for a lot of reasons. But I, I think it'll change. And I think like that's going to be an interesting thing for us is what ends up being like the end all be all for us and what's the best for our use case. There isn't like the the best at this point for the stool issue, which is the beauty and the pain of um, what we're doing is the beauty being that we're, we were the first in this space, the pain being that we're the first in this space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the interesting thing about this is, right, there's all of these big technology platforms that are building these APIs that we can all utilize, and then we're training it within the context of our area of expertise. And so, like, what you were just saying, like, you're the first to use some of these APIs that give you the foundation to do something very specific that's not being done by these big technology companies. And you're creating with that something very unique, something very useful, something that you have to test and refine um, and from that could even become its own API at some point for another company to utilize in their own unique contextual ways. And I'm like, this is where I get so excited with what we're building because it is sort of this like scaffolding effect of like, you know, each person has their unique approach and take and you can layer the technology on top of each other to create something that um, hopefully, I think we all have a very ethical mindset around this, enhances health, well-being and access to um, things that we need to feel well in life. Yeah, that's actually, you know, it brings me to like my next question, honestly, where as the head of experience with our product, you mentioned that, you know, it hasn't, a lot of what we're doing hasn't been done before. And that means that a lot of people out there haven't experienced anything like this before. And a lot of people, there's like a huge spectrum out there right now of people's experiences with AI. Uh, you know, they're the people that use GPT every day in their daily life. And then there are people who honestly don't even know what it is or never heard of it. And what I've picked up on is that the people who are more unfamiliar definitely lead a little bit with fear. Um, it's just a very common and very understandable, uh, uh, you know, natural instinct to be fearful because 
what what is out there are movies like Ex Machina, where you're just like, oh my God, it's going to completely take over our lives. My question, I guess, to you is for you know your specific target demo, parents, new moms. Um, what what do you what are you finding to be the most interesting way that you've been able to explain to AI to this demo that makes them feel better versus makes them feel scared? Yeah, I I think a few things that have been helpful would be one as it relates to like image identification and, and categorization. Um, the main piece there is explaining to them that the reason why I am capable of looking at a diaper and within a couple of questions, be able to tell you with very, very good certainty whether or not a diaper is normal or not for that baby is because I have seen thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures and I have worked with thousands of families. And so the the struggle then is taking all of that that I have done in years and years of work and translating that to another person, right? And then uh, more people and more people making that actually scalable because there's only one of me yeah. and I can only look at so many pictures in a day. But if I could translate that knowledge that I've gleaned over years to another model, like an AI model, then I can help everybody all at once. Mm -hmm. And so me explaining it like that, saying I'm literally taking what I know and all of the imaging that I've seen over the years and giving it to the AI model to do exactly what I do. And in that way, I think that puts it a little bit into perspective for individuals. Um, now the i think the other piece too is you know there's a lot of um worry kind of as you mentioned right and and you know trust around the the ai because it's because it's new to the consumer right it's not necessarily like new in general but it's new to the consumer and i think that's normal i think that um the other thing that i like to talk about is the other like big disruptors in technology, you know, this is the same conversation that we had when the internet began, yeah. right? And I'm sure, like, I'm fairly certain that you, you two are probably in the same generation of like, you know what the sound of like dial up is, and had that computer where like, you click a link and then like, go, you know, walk around the block twice and then come back and it would be loaded type of situation, right? But that's, these are the same conversations that were being had then about the internet. and were are there issues absolutely there are issues and there is regulation around it and there's good and bad actors in this space and the same will be true in the ai space as well yeah 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 do you have any thoughts around like did you pay attention or watch the the hearings okay do you have thoughts on regulations and the oversight recommendations that Sam Altman talked about? Um, yeah, I did watch the hearings and uh, with Sam Altman. And I think the most interesting pieces for me was one, um, I really appreciated that, like, he really laid it out, right? He was like, X, Y, and Z. These are like the really big problems um, that we see coming down the pipelines. The the good of all of that is like the openness um the downside being we can only 
we only know what we know, right? And and we can know what we don't know, but we can't, we don't know what we don't know type of situation. Yep. So that's always interesting to me of like, um, what else, right? And I, I think that in time, we will see that come to light. The other thing that the hearings really shed a light on for me too is the government's need to bring in experts for this space because these are the same individuals that are asking questions, quite frankly, like, you know, does TikTok access my Wi-Fi? Like, <laughs> these individuals yeah. are not subject matter experts as it relates to technology in general, let alone technology that is on the cutting edge AI. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it painted a very good picture, especially when Sam was asked um, if he would be interested in being that oversight person. And Sam was like, I really like my job. <laughs> Basically, like really kindly saying no thanks um and so so who right like who is that yeah group of humans who is in charge of that oversight and building that and needing to do it now mm -hmm. rather than rather than later and with a diverse group of people because it's really going to shape what we bake into ai and then who it's for and how it's accessed and I think whoever we select for that is going to be a really important indicator of our trajectory with it too. Totally. I agree. Yeah. Well, I am going to segue us into like some more, well, some more levity with the topic of AI. Um, whenever my mind starts to go down the hole of just like regulation and weaponizing, I'm like, okay, back to the, back to the fun stuff um, is where we can kind of end on this like more positive note. We don't always get experts that are as familiar with AI as you are. So I kind of wanted to have some fun with this and just kind of, I always like to pick people's brains on how do you use AI yourself in your day-to-day -day life? Like even outside of free to feed, like what are the things that you do to just make your life super easy? Like the things that have blown your mind recently with using AI. Like I just, I love to pick up on what other people are doing so I can maybe incorporate some of that into my life. So how, how are you using it just in your life? Yeah, so um, I would say so. Free to feed is the the biggest area that I use it. So I'll give a couple of examples of using it uh, on the free to feed side, and then I'll give a couple examples um, on the personal side. Um, so on the free to feed side, I am using um, Open Playground more. So the so Open Playground allows you to to choose lots of different models, um, mm -hmm. and I mostly use the GPT four model because I want the the internet kind of connectivity, the up to date. Um, so I will utilize that, especially in free to feed most recently to help me with my grant writing. It is so helpful where, um, I, and not necessarily writing the grant per se, but I can go into um, GPT-4 and say, copy a sentence that I've written and say, give me the three best scientific publications for this statement. Yeah. And, and it will give them to me. And then I can pick which one or which ones I want to use as what I'm referencing for, you know, for the actual grant itself. Um, is when I'm structuring like the budget for through and saying like, okay, this is what I have for budget. Um, where do you see me being able to add supplies for a molecular biology lab? And it gives me that. So it's a lot of, having almost like that virtual assistant person to like work through those problems with and it makes it so much faster something that would have taken me 
like a week to do, I can get done in a day, which is just mind blowing and wonderful. Um, I love to use GBT um, in addition to on the grant writing side, we also use it on the content side of things for um, literally saying like, uh, you know, give me 10 um, potential titles for this blog piece. Um, yeah. Give me, you know, the what are the three main topics that you would use for this blog piece, for example, or rewrite this caption in a way that's more like funny and gives more levity to it. Things like that. Just so incredibly helpful. On the personal side, um, I love gardening. Like that's that's my that's my thing, my hobby, if you will. Um, and so I have used AI to help me like build my garden. Right, I'm very much a like companion planting person. So um, if you're growing squash, like what kind of flowers can you grow next to squash that helps get deter any of the pests or what kind of herbs can I grow next to squash to deter pests because I'm an organic farmer uh, or gardener and so and it couldn't build that for me so we've we myself and like this AI platform uh the infamous we have built like entire charts and platforms and like maps of what I can do in my garden um which plants am I putting inside the greenhouse which ones are going out how do I map it all out and how do I succession plant it's just so incredibly helpful and it's something that i can have on my phone too so i can literally be like out in the garden and just type in like what are my best companion plants in this tomato uh bed that has basil and a pepper in it already and there it is right there and it's so so very helpful so i would say those are the main areas there's always like random things that pop up they're like oh this is something i should pop into um into an ai and and see what's generated and i'm ex so excited for the additional platforms that are coming out and seeing them improve and um the i think the competition is very good right the competition is very good because it's going to allow for this to continue to be more and more accessible to more and more people and i Truly, my entire team is utilizing it now, um, and it's been wonderful. It's the best time save. It's like opened up a whole new window of opportunity to work on things in a deeper way, in a faster way, more effective way. We have like a little water cooler mm -hmm. channel in Slack, and we're like, what's your favorite way of using GPT right now? And it's just so fun to see how each individual has like used it in a way that both professionally and individually, just outside of work um, in a way that's different from how I would use it. And I'm like, oh, that's such a cool idea. Gardening, never would have, don't know why I wouldn't have never thought of it. I love gardening. And I'm like, I never thought to take my gardening questions to GPT, but that's why I love having these conversations because you get like inspired with like, they're so, the limits are endless. I, I always use GPT to help me come up with like catchy titles to things like puns and stuff like that, just like for fun things. We were with a group of friends and we were experimenting with just like a cocktail and we only had uh, grapefruit and basil with us. So I just asked him like, hey, can you give me, and gin. So I was like, can you give me like a good recipe and to turn this into a cocktail? And they did. And we were watching Harry Potter that night. So I was like, can you come up with a name for this cocktail that's Harry Potter themed? And all of a sudden it said, what about the Ginny Weasley? And everyone lost their marbles because they were like, ah, this is perfect, it's Weasley. Um, so it's just little moments like that too that I just like, I always like to share is just 
the fun thing AI did for me this week. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. That is fabulous. And yes, exactly. As you mentioned, there's so many things. And I think that'll this going to grow exponentially, right? Of those moments of like, oh, I could use this here. Um, yeah. And being yeah. able to continue to have amazing, hilarious moments like that to, you know, being a more prolific gardener. Yes. Or maybe our congressional members could have used it to ask better questions. <laughs> yes. Sing. Not fired. Oh, yes. Please that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Trill. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you, Kay, for jumping in and co-hosting with me today. Um, just so everyone knows, all of our listeners, every week on Emma through the end of May, we are doing a giveaway. So if you hop on the app, um, download it. It's Emma in the App Store. Um, you join a circle, participate, and it uh, enters you for a chance to win our giveaway. So we'll pick a winner at the end of the month. We would love to see you on there. Um, thank you for joining us on this episode. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation and feel inspired to join the movement to build a healthier and happier world for women through AI. Be sure to follow us on your favorite uh, pod podcast platform. That's a tongue twister. Uh, so you never miss an episode and download the app in the app store. Thank you, everyone.